All right. Welcome back. It's been a long time since we've done this. A very long time. So apologies for leaving you guys without a podcast of mine to listen to. But I've been very busy on YouTube. So I've pretty much been doing YouTube every every day. My goal has been roughly six videos per week, which has been working out really well. Um, initially, I was doing more at about uh, 12 per week, which was a really aggressive schedule. But thanks to some friends, I looked at the statistics and the algorithm doesn't really seem to support multiple videos per day. So I think if you if you have a very large outreach, like, um, I don't know, like Greg Doucette, it might pay, as in literally pay, to have more videos per day. Because ultimately the reach spans out a lot further. But what I was seeing was I was getting roughly the same amount of views for two a day as I was for one a day, it just it just worked out that way due to the exposure of the video, that kind of thing. So uh, roughly six a week, which has been really good. And uh, I've been very fortunate in that the YouTube has grown. If you're not subscribed to it, go ahead and check out Fast Lifts on YouTube. And I do daily videos there. They're a different style to the podcast here. And so for any of you guys from my YouTube channel coming over to my podcast, you'll notice a different sort of tone and uh, pace of the podcast. And I like both. Podcasts allow me to delve deeper into subjects. And um, whereas the YouTube is much more of a in and out, punchy type of content. So there's room for both, I think. So what I thought I would do is discuss a bit about what I've learned from YouTube, some three lessons, and potentially what we can learn about challenging our own biases based on that. So uh, I'm hoping to, in my, in my own sort of lessons in YouTube, I'm hoping to provide you guys some insight into things that will help you um, in your own journeys in health and bodybuilding and fitness and all that kind of stuff. So three things. First one is um, whenever I tackle... <laughs> calories in versus calories out and it whenever it gets pitted against something like the carb insulin model of obesity it is it has a very very mixed reception it's something which people still believe in heavily and i had to explain this to a client recently so i thought i would get into it today in the podcast as well so i've done a, i've done a couple of videos on this one was in reply to a recent research piece done by Dr. David Ludwig and a few others who are very notable in the whole carb insulin uh, model of obesity kind of sphere. And those are the guys, I'll just explain what their stance is first. So those guys believe that fat can only be stored, so body fat can only be gained in the presence of high levels of insulin. So therefore, if you, you know, if you don't, um, eat foods which encourage a lot of insulin and they specifically believe that's carbs then you're never going to lay down any fat that's their stance now over the years they have sort of softened on that and um, because if you have such a hard line stance you can then you can then break that apart pretty easily because you can then say well okay well what if let's take two scenarios what if I had 5,000 calories per day of just 
protein and fat. Would I? Well, I wouldn't gain any fat then according to your model of obesity because insulin would be low, right? And we know that's false, of course. Or So that's a very easy way to break down the carb-insulin model of obesity. You could then go the other way and you can say, well, what if I ate 1,000 calories a day and my maintenance was 3,000 and I ate 1,000 calories a day of just pure sugar? You know, let's just bear with me. Let's just do an experiment. Let's say I went for seven days and I ate nothing but sugar. Okay, seven days is not long enough to get any major imbalances, but I probably lose some muscle. But let's say I just ate sugar in those seven days, 1,000 calories of sugar every day, but my maintenance was 3,000. What, and according to the carb insulin model of obesity, I would actually gain fat because my insulin will be high all day. But we don't see that in reality. So you can break down that model of obesity very easily. So what these people then do, if you present them with those arguments, is say that, well, that's not realistic. So that's what they'll tell you. They'll say, well, it's not realistic because in the first example, you wouldn't eat 5,000 calories from um, protein and fat because you would get full. So, so then they're basically saying, well, you wouldn't eat as much, to which you have to you know, feign ignorance and say, well, what's wrong with eating a lot of food? But you said, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. You said that insulin is the key, not calories. So they, they, they always sort of nod to calories anyway, at least the, the more recent modern guys do in the carb-insulin model of obesity camp. So, and if you go to the thousand calorie, you know, example of the sugar, again, they'll say something like, well, that's not realistic. No one ever does that, you know? <laughs> so, and they'll say, actually, if you eat sugar, if you eat lots and lots of carbs, you will, it's very Moorish. So you'll never stop at a thousand. You'll eat 2000, you'll eat 3000, you'll eat 4000. And then you'll say, oh, well, so calories matter then, right? So <laughs> basically what this paper showed was that, um, they, they, the camp, the, the carb-insulin obesity camp have sort of softened their stance a little bit because over the years where they just strictly were focused on insulin, they are now actually just saying, well, what is fairly consistent with calories in versus calories out. Their argument really right now is just that high levels of dietary, uh, high levels of insulin and dietary carbohydrates in, in processed foods will just spike your appetite and therefore it will cause you to eat more which will, which will make you gain weight, which is perfectly reasonable. Like that's, that's actually a very reasonable stance. So it's almost like this latest paper that was released, they've, they're sort of holding up the white flag and going, yeah, you know, they're saying surrender. Okay, you guys, the carries in versus carries out guys, you guys are right. You've won, you know, um, and that's it. So... It's good in a way, you know, it's good in a sense because but they, they still they still have to get their little jab in there and, and talk about how carries in versus carries out doesn't work. But everything in their argument is consistent with carries in versus carries out. That's the hilarious thing. So I don't know whether they're just trying to save face. I, I think that's what it is. I think honestly that's what it is. At this point, they're just trying to save face because no one ever said, you know, cutting your carbs doesn't work like if you cut calories and cut carbs and eat less then great but the way to think about it is carries in versus carries out is the mechanism a low carb diet is the way of eating okay so it all falls under the carries in versus carries out model so anyway 
what I found um, on YouTube, <laughs> that's sort of the lesson of the day, but what I found on YouTube is people still believe in this. And so when they hear this research article, they still think, okay, well, I lost weight on a low-carb diet. They go, oh, that's what they're thinking. And so these guys must be right. Carries versus carries out is rubbish. But, but again, the argument is perfectly consistent with carries in versus carries out because their argument is essentially just that if you eat too many processed foods, they're very Moorish, therefore you'll eat more of them. So therefore, you'll go over your calories. They're not really saying it, but the implication is there now. So yeah, I mean, it, it does seem like the carb insulin model of obesity, it's just a play on words. It's really just an advertising slogan. It's not, and it never should have been taken seriously as a scientific means to refute carries in versus carries out mechanism of, of, of fat loss or weight maintenance, whatever. Energy balance, basically. So the first thing is, the first lesson is, people still believe in the carb insulin model of obesity and people... A lot of people who are really um, sort of um, crazy about it. Sorry, there's a lot of noise outside. I've had building work going on, and they decide to just smash stuff outside the door. Weirdly enough. So anyway, a lot of people they'll they'll just see um, they'll believe the argument, they'll believe the hype about it being exclusive to carries versus carries out when it's not. So hopefully, if you think about it in that way, you'll be a bit more at peace with what it is. It's not an alternate model of fat loss. It's just a way of eating within the existing model that we have. So I did a, a video on this called, you're not a snowflake. You're not a unique snowflake. And that <laughs> well, was quite funny. You'll laugh at this. Um, somebody took so much offense at that video. When they watched it, they, uh, they, they downvoted it. So they, they gave it an unlike. And I saw on my studio, in my behind the scenes on my YouTube, that they went through every single video of mine and disliked it. And they got they got about 10 videos down the line from where it was. So if you go ahead, you can look at my channel, check out the You're Not a Unique Snowflake video, and then look at the 10 videos prior to that. And they just went and downvoted those videos. So you could, I could see them as, as I updated the um, studio. I could see them pr systematically going through every video and updated it. So they did... I, I challenged their belief so much that they, they got so triggered by it that they went and disliked like as many videos as they could until they got bored. It's amazing. But that shows you people have this irrational fondness for a way of eating. They become religious about it to the point where they, they're like, yeah, I'm going to get this guy back because he's challenged my belief, um, you know, and in the nicest possible way, I challenged their belief, but um, they just couldn't reconcile the science and the logic with what they thought in the head, their preconceived bias. And again, not saying they were um, completely wrong, but they had been taken in by this carb insulin model of obesity as a different model, which stands alone away from carries in versus carries out, rather than just thinking about it the way it is, which is that it fits within carries in versus carries out. So, um, that's the first thing I've learned is, uh, I guess it's kind of like, if you challenge people's beliefs, they will just forego logic, science, common sense, everything. And they will just be like, no, this is what I believe. This is true for me. I mean, there's some value in that, I guess, because you can look at, well, but the, the problem is, 
and this is what I say about the carb-insulin model of obesity, the problem is it leads people down the line of doing silly things like saying, okay, if insulin doesn't matter, then I'm just going to ignore calories altogether and I'm going to – sorry, if insulin is the only thing that matters, then I'm going to just cut out carbs and have as much fat as I like. And you do see people dieting like that. There are guys on Reddit, guys and girls on Reddit that I see who are like 300 pounds. And they'll say, yeah, I lost 50 pounds on a keto diet eating as much as I could of bacon, sausages, and fat. It's like, look, I'm, I'm happy for you, but going from 350 pounds to 300 pounds on keto is not an achievement. Like, it's, it's not an achievement. You know, it's just simply you cut out a whole bunch of foods which are moorish, but your sheer body size, even eating bacon, grease, fat, all that kind of stuff, your sheer body size is still going to be high enough that even that diet would make you lose weight. It's when they start to get down to the 200 range, the 180 range, which I've seen, you know, as, as I have, that's where you have to find alternate models and keto might not be for you. But anyway, or, or I think keto is not inherently keto that's the fault, but keto without counting calories might not be for you. Anyway, on to the next topic. <laughs> the next thing is um, people have a real fondness for their own authority figures. So this was quite funny. There's there's a guy on my in my um, on my YouTube who regularly watches my watches my content, and um, it's funny because you can you've sort of seen his transition from initially posting the first thing he posted was actually quite complimentary to somewhere along the line, people either get very comfortable with you or they become critical of your work. And uh, I posted this thing about uh, Mark Ripito's views on women. And it was due to this something he posted on his um, on his forum, and he was replying to somebody else with a horrific view on women, uh, really like nasty stuff. Um, and Mark was essentially condoning it, and uh, what looked like agreeing with it. <laughs> and the funny thing was, this guy in my comments, he posted, "Oh, I don't know why people are being so critical of Rip. Like his five by five is great." And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> We're talking about his views on women. We're not talking about his training ideas here. So that was that was really strange. I thought, all right, but you know, no one's attacking his five by five. We're strictly talking about his seemingly horrific views on women. Uh, and just recently, I posted something about um, low bar squats, and I didn't mention Ripito, Ripito at all in the entire you know fifteen minute clip. Didn't even make mention. Didn't even allude to him. And this this guy again is all up in my comments going, it's just talking about Ripito. Like, ah, oh, I don't know, don't know why people are having to go Ripito. Like, what are you talking about? Not everything is about Ripito. Why are you making everything about Ripito? It was unbelievable. So yeah, that's a case of where the his authority figure hadn't even been mentioned by name. And it wasn't even alluded to. He just thought maybe Faz is talking about Ripito. I'm just going to jump in here and, and give my two cents. <laughs> it's amazing. Like people literally see them. It's kind of like the carb insulin model of obesity thing. People see that as a religious cult and they see their authority figures as the leaders of that cult and they're beyond reproach. Like this guy, again, just to get off Ripito for a second, but you know, a guy could have absolutely horrific views on women, on whatever else, but somebody out there who will be in their little cult will be going, nope, 
can't argue with that. You know, I'm sure he didn't say it or whatever, like it's a whole bunch of stuff. And that was brought to light with the um, Arnold stuff that I covered as well. So I covered Arnold Scorsinger's recent discussion around, um, I think he said, screw your freedom, something like that. And so it was interesting to see the range of comments, um, just people either defending him or, you know, attacking him. And there were very few people who ran down the middle line of saying, okay, well, let's have a look at what he meant. Let's maybe look at the look at the argument for what it is rather than having an emotional reaction and saying, well, yeah, I agree with Arnold or no, like you guys all suck. There were very few people in the comments who actually gave a rational account and said, you know, okay, let's look at what was said. Let's look at the fallout of what was said. Let's try and look at the content because um, he was talking specifically about masks and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then you had some people in the comments sort of attacking me saying, well, yeah, I've misrepresented the position, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But so it was. Uh, <laughs> it, I think when people get emotional, they lose any sense of of logic completely. That that's kind of what I see, um, which is uh, interesting. Um, it's <laughs> which kind of I suppose the lesson in that is, and something that I read years ago was the it was a quote from somebody. I think it was, I don't know, some ancient Greek philosopher, but it, it was something like this. The sign of an educated mind is the ability to discuss a topic without becoming emotionally involved. And I completely believe that. I totally believe that. The sign of an educated mind is the ability to discuss a topic without becoming emotionally involved. Like There are some topics you can't discuss with people because they immediately they can't separate themselves from what's being discussed. So they can't see things in a rational way. They have to get emotionally involved. It's the kind of person who says, I wear my heart on my sleeve, you know, those kind of morons. So it's that kind of thing, really. So that's, and I think if you want to grow and get better and progress in your own education, as and as a side effect, get better in your life, you know, in your physique, all that kind of stuff, and not be taken in by, unscrupulous people who tend to have very good argumentation because that's how they get into places of authority um when they're when they have no substance you know they're just very good at orating very good at speaking so if you don't want to get bamboozled by those people you have to allow yourself to think rationally in the face of a discussion which might pluck on your heartstrings emotionally so i think it's important um, it, you know, and to give you an example again from from Reddit, it's it leads to people who are still three hundred pounds, two hundred fifty pounds, or whatever, and still have this idea that it's not. It, it you know are still are still taken in by the fringe camps of fasting or keto. Like they're great if they're done properly, but um, if they're done in a very sort of like cult cultish way, where yes, it's just insulin or it's just fasting, calories don't matter, then that's when things become problematic. And if you can't separate your initial love of fasting and keto, not just those, but any fad, from the science behind why it works, then you'll forever be frustrated. So I guess that's the second lesson, is a attempt to separate your emotions from a rational argument about facts. If you can do that, you'll grow. If you can't, then you'll just be very angry a lot, I think, is what I see.
which kind of leads me on to my my final point um, i've had overwhelming positivity with my youtube channel like people have just been amazing it, honestly i couldn't wish for a nicer group of people um but it, i have seen every now and again there'll be some comments which are quite negative um like i think i remember the first month that i was on um youtube i was there was some russian account <laughs> who was simultaneously in the same week accusing me of not lifting being on steroids and photoshopping my photos <laughs> what a week <laughs> what was going on in his head first instance i don't look like i lift and after that i somehow look like i'm on steroids and then i look like i don't lift again but i photoshop my that that's quite a that's quite a wild ride in his head <laughs> so um yeah it's what i've learned is it's when you have people like that it's best not to get into it with them and that's for the same reasons i think that um are to do with point one and point two which is people don't like to have their ideas challenged or their authority figures challenged and so if someone is in your comments and they're thinking along those ways then it's best not to get into it with them just because they've probably already got their minds made up and uh, there's not really much you can do so they're they're out there thinking you know i'm having a bad day today so i'm going to just blurt it out onto this this guy who sits down every day and impart, tries to impart some wisdom onto YouTube and try to make the world a better place. But, you know, I hate that, so I'm going to have a go at him. So you can't really do much about that. Like, they're going to they're gonna just do that anyway. So, yeah, it's best not to get into it. So I, I try and focus all of my efforts onto the positive people or, you know, people who have got a, like, I don't know, sometimes you get, like, tech problems with products that you sell. But that's been my uh, my my lesson learned from YouTube, um, my three lessons learned from YouTube, and uh, I guess in terms of how the third one will be relevant to you guys in terms of a health and fitness perspective, I think if you have got something which works for you, very much sort of stick to it, and yeah, don't because I think all too often we're looking for the next best thing or. You know, we're, we've got one eye on the latest scientific research article looking to perhaps change our routines, change our programs, change our ways of eating. Best not to get into it, really. As long as you're happy with what you're doing, you are making tangible, objective progress, then focus on the positives and really pour your energy and attention into those. Which is easier said than done. We all get distracted on those things every once in a while. So that was my talk today on... Um, what I've learned so far from YouTube, in I mean, overwhelmingly, it's been an absolutely fantastic experience. It's been very, very positive. But uh, what I've learned from YouTube, which has hopefully maybe translated into a lesson for you guys. Um, so hopefully, yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting for you. I think the podcast stuff, it's been... It, the, one of the other ways in which it's very different to um, YouTube is that you get a lot less interaction with podcasts. So oftentimes, if it can kind of seem like I'm off in my own world when I'm discussing things on a podcast, it's quite simply because I don't get a lot of feedback on the podcast. So a lot of times it does feel like I'm just sat here um, giving you guys what's on my mind. Whereas on YouTube, it's a lot more interactive. That's one thing I've noticed. I mean, I've probably had more interaction on one of my most popular YouTube videos than I have had on a year's worth of podcasts, you know, because all that happens is you get people 
who come in and give you reviews or generally always positive reviews but youtube it's inherently a lot more interaction possibly because they're shorter clips they're more to the point possibly because it's set up that way better i mean soundcloud and it does have a facility for comments but um i think most people if they're going to comment that i i try and push them towards um writing a review for the podcast a five-star review where apple is always appreciated i was pushing that quite heavily previously and i got some good reviews and i will continue to push that but um yeah youtube seems to be much more of an easier format for people to feel comfortable in replying back for specific uh, parts that they like but in any case i'll keep doing the podcast i'm aiming to do at least once a week um and continue that now that i have more schedule more set into my schedule for youtube so uh, i'll call it there and uh, hopefully you guys find it useful i'll speak to you next time